0: Hey, this is Crispin on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today on the podcast we have a message from the third Sunday of Easter where we're looking at Paul's encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus as he was on his way to persecute Christians and how his conversion shaped his life and really Western history after that. We want to thank everybody who came out for our volunteer appreciation blues and barbecue on Friday. We had an awesome time and we just want to thank all who serve in the church. Uh, Over 80 people serve each week and we couldn't do it without you. So thank you very much. Let's head to the talk, North Shore Vineyard Church, downtown Covington. Here we go. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. All right, you can have a seat. Some of y'all just got to stand up and be quiet. Just like when you were growing up in church. I want you to imagine a scenario. This isn't, unfortunately, this is not that hard to imagine these days. It might have been harder 10 or 15 years ago to imagine this. But imagine, uh, how many of y'all have ever traveled over to the Middle East before? Israel? Israel? Okay, very, okay, very few. You ought to take a trip sometime. It's a it's a great little place. Um, but, it, so it'll be easier for those of you that have been to imagine this, but, uh, you know, uh, imagine from movies or whatever. Imagine that you're growing up in, say, Lebanon or Syria, and you're a part of a Christian family, uh, you're third, fourth generation Christian, and in Lebanon... Um, and and even parts of Syria up in Syria up until recently it, it, it hasn't you've been persecuted as a Christian a bit it's been a little difficult but you could still live out your faith now ISIS takes the scene three years ago four years ago um, 2013 and the the persecution against Christians uh, even against Shiites uh, Yazidis uh, becomes horrible. And imagine living in a little village in, say, Syria, which is kind of interesting because this passage talks about the road to Damascus. That's a a Syrian town. Imagine that you're in a little village in Syria, and you find out that the main guy who, who is an ISIS terrorist leader of your area has just encountered Jesus, and he's put down his weapons, and he wants to come speak at your church. Imagine that. I say that because that's not far off from what's going on in the passage today. We think of the Apostle Paul as a former Pharisee, but if we consider what Paul was doing, his name was Saul at the time. Jesus changes his name to Paul. But he wasn't simply a Pharisee. If we look at a modern definition of it, we would call... Saul, a, a fundamentalist, religious terrorist. I mean, we don't know if Saul actually killed any people himself, but he was there when the first martyr in the church, Stephen, was, was stoned to death in front of him. And all the people who just killed Stephen with rocks, I can't, I can't even put my mind around this, but an angry mob throws rocks at this guy And they take Stephen's uh, cloak afterwards. And where do they go with it? They lay it down at the feet of Saul. It's a trophy. I mean, that's that's how messed up this was. He was that kind of leader. Like people would kill people on his behalf and bring him the cloak as a trophy. Modern definition, if somebody like that existed in our world, we'd call them a terrorist. So... If you read on beyond this story a little bit, and I'm not sure if we're going to get into it in the lectionary in the coming weeks. I haven't looked that far ahead. Uh, I can only look forward about three days at a time lately. But if you look beyond this passage, it's that kind of reaction when, when, when Paul starts showing up to other Christians. Everybody's freaked out. They're thinking, this is a trap. He's saying he wants to come speak at our church, but we know the other terrorist guys are going to come in here and they're going to haul off uh, men and women and children and and, and separate our families and put us in prison. But what the disciples didn't know is this encounter of, of Saul on the road to Damascus is actually probably the most pivotal moment besides Jesus himself in Western history. In the last two thousand years, it really is. The Apostle Paul. Uh, without the Apostle Paul, like there'd be no Gentile churches. Well, I mean, there probably would, but they might have taken a couple more hundred years to establish. He was the guy that started the the churches all over the Greek Mediterranean world. He planted churches in Ephesus, Colossae, Philippi, Corinth, Rome, Thessalonica. He puts churches everywhere. Without Paul, we might not be in the same place in history that we find ourselves today with Christianity, you know, the biggest religion in the world. It is this road to Damascus, this experience of encountering Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus that changes Paul forever. As one author put it, Paul's conversion was one away from religious fanaticism. In other words, Paul did not see himself as rejecting his Jewish faith or Israel's scriptures, but rather as rejecting his former violent interpretation of them. Paul's great sin, as he came to understand it, had been participation in what he understood as religiously justified acts of violence motivated by religious zeal. We have this notion. I don't think most people would agree with it nowadays, at least intellectually, although we do it all the time. <laughs> you ever heard the phrase, the ends justify the means? You know, basically that saying is, however, whatever you've got to do to get to the desired goal is okay as long as you get to the desired goal, right? Um, the communists, when they took over uh, in 1917, this was a strategy employed by many of the, colonists, uh, the communists, and, and they did some horrible things to get to the end that they were going for. But here's the thing, with the ends that justifies the means mentality, once you make certain compromises, once you step over certain lines, you can't go back, can you? Once you just say, hey, we've got to do this because to get to this end, there doesn't seem to be another way. We'll compromise on what we believe in this instance to get to this end. The darkest days in church history in the last 2,000 years have been when Christians have have abandoned the ways of Jesus for an ends justifies the means approach. And usually it's not anything too terrible initially. And this is kind of where Paul had been in his former life. Uh, It doesn't matter if we hunt down people or kill them or lock them up or separate families as long as we get this version of, of, of Judaism out there but paul would learn something after he encounters jesus that the ends doesn't justify the means in fact the ends and the means in christianity are the same thing they're the same thing for instance jesus didn't simply offer nice inspirational sayings about love did he i mean he didn't he wasn't just saying Love your enemies, bless those who curse you, while he sat in some academic institution or some holy place off in the desert. What did Jesus do? He actually loved people, right? (laughs) He didn't just talk about it. There wasn't some disconnect with his actions and his, his speech and his teachings. It was thoroughly consistent. It was an embodied message. As John would put it in the Gospel of John, the Word became flesh, The word became flesh. So everything that God wanted to say to us is enfleshed in the incarnation of Jesus. Jesus doesn't speak it merely. He is it. You want to know what love looks like? Look at Jesus. You want to know what forgiveness looks like? Look at Jesus. And so Christianity isn't merely having moral ideas and trying to cast our moral vision in front of people and try to achieve that moral vision however we need to get there as long as we can get there. No Christianity, the way it's intended to be, is that we wouldn't just tell people about forgiveness, like, God's forgiven you. No, we would actually forgive people. This is why this stuff isn't very popular. <laughs> we wouldn't just tell people that God loves them. We would, as God's children, love them, right? We wouldn't just tell people... Um, about the peace of God, we would become the peace of God to people. We wouldn't just tell people about hope. We would be hope to people. You understand what I'm saying? Christianity, the ends and the means are the same thing. You are the message. I like it it kind of the way that, that Gandhi put it. Gandhi said, be the change that you want to see. You know, we... We, we uh, get upset and we, we, we fight over all kinds of things. Well, how about we, or as Michael Jackson said, I'm starting with the man in the mirror. <laughs> yeah, haw Shimon. Shimon. <laughs> in Christianity, it's, it's not about changing things out there. It's about changing things in here. And the apostle Paul, he has this encounter with Christ that gets in here and he is forever ruined for anything else. He can't go back. Paul, his big one of his biggest messages is about the grace of God. Why is that? Because for Paul, he realizes he he is he's like the baddest dude in the in the disciples. I mean Peter and and James and Andrew, I mean they were fishermen. They didn't do anything that bad. I mean, they probably cussed a little when they were fishing and didn't, you know, but but he had killed people. He had done bad things, not just bad things. He'd done bad things in the name of God only to find out that he was actually fighting God. And so Paul from that point on would say these things, and and it's not false humility. He goes, I'm like the worst of all sinners. I killed the church. I killed people in the church. I'm the least of the apostles. He's not just being, oh, you know, I'm I'm the least of the apostles. I don't even know how I got in. Oh, shucks. God's grace. He loves me anyway. No, he was serious. He struggled with this. I don't know why I'm here. I'm the last person who should have gotten in here. Cuz I killed people in God's name. I caused damage to families. I broke up homes. Cause suffering, I'm sure Paul was haunted by that in his dreams. And yet, Paul's biggest message: what does it become? The grace of God, because <laughs> he knows if I get into this thing, anybody can get in. If God can do something with me, a, a former terrorist, He can do something with anybody. This ought to give us a little hope. By the way, I'm encouraged. I've actually, I've actually. Uh, I've actually read a handful of accounts that in the last 2 years there are muslim terrorists ISIS folks who are actually having encounters with Jesus god shows up to him in a dream and a vision and and i mean it's it's like first century stuff that's pretty cool it's in the realm of possibilities it ought to inform our prayers just a little bit we ought not to get so caught up in discouragement and protecting our stuff that we can't believe that that, that this god can that got a hold of paul could get a hold of any terrorist. It's in the realm of possibilities. Well, in God's world. Before meeting Jesus, Paul had no no problem resorting to violence to get his religious plan forward. After that, Paul never resorts to violence again. And he's got good reason to resort to violence a few times. Anybody ever had somebody throw a rock at you before and hit you? I remember on the playground getting hit with a couple of rocks before. It didn't, didn't make me want to be nice to them. Usually didn't end well. Usually ended up with us both going to the principal's office. <laughs> Paul gets run out of town. He gets people stoning him. He, he gets accused of, of all kinds of sorcery and bad things. I mean, he, and, and Paul has the, he, he says this thing in Philippians. He goes, I've learned the secret of happiness. I can do anything through Jesus who strengthens me. I can go through getting hit with rocks by people, accused, run out of town, snake bit, shipwreck. I can do it all through Christ who strengthens me. Paul would have good reason to resort to violence on numerous occasions, but Jesus had killed that person within, with him through his love. Paul realized that's not the way the kingdom of God comes. It didn 't come that way with Jesus, it didn't come that way with Paul. It doesn't come at the end of a sword. Paul went from an ends unjustifies the mean religious person to a person who embodied the message of Jesus. So this is a bit of what it looked like for Paul, and we'll probably unpack some of these things in the the coming weeks, but what does this story reveal about Jesus? We are celebrating the resurrection in this Easter season. What does this reveal about God? The way that God reveals himself to a terrorist. I mean, what does this reveal about God? I, I think it's... Shows quite a bit of restraint on God's behalf, thinking if somebody had killed some people and was opposing my followers, if I was Jesus, um, I might get the smite button out and, (laughs) you know, I, I might smite them. But what does Jesus say to Paul? Paul is or Saul at the time. He's on the road to Damascus. He's going to hunt down more Christians, the followers of the way. That's what they called him at the time. What what does Jesus do when he bumps into Paul? Or Paul bumps into him? He says, Why are you persecuting me? What? Why are you persecuting me? Jesus doesn't say, Paul, you're going straight to hell now. You're, you're beyond my grace. I've had it up to here with you. Jesus doesn't even knock him off the horse. He he falls off the horse. Uh, that, that's where that phrase comes from. Because he's blinded by the light. Sometimes we have to get blinded in order to see. I think that this reveals a little something I touched on last week. I, I, I mentioned how Jesus, in the resurrection, he has a resurrected body. And, and that the hope for all of us in the Christian tradition is that, that when that there will be a resurrection of us too someday that 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 paul talks about jesus being the first of of many brethren that we're all going to get upgraded resurrected bodies hallelujah and uh but but here's the deal when jesus rises from the grave he still got scars in his resurrection body i'm kind of wishing i could get rid of some of these scars i got this this finger that don't bend anymore because i cut it with a chainsaw years ago my wife makes fun of me um I'd like to upgrade. But why does Jesus have these scars in his resurrected body? Because they are a badge of honor. They are to him the the thing that symbolizes the greatest thing that God ever did. Not just symbolizes it. shows us that. It shows us that, that God in Jesus Christ maintains his solidarity with our humanity throughout eternity. So when we pray to God we're not we're still praying when we're praying to Jesus we're not praying to some some disembodied spirit up there Jesus is still fully human and fully god he maintains his connection maintains his connection with our humanity throughout eternity and i think that in this statement when paul runs into jesus when jesus says why do you persecute me it shows the humility and vulnerability Vern, v- v- <laughs> vulnerability of god that's a, i'm not going to say it anymore jesus remains vulnerable to us even post resurrection as I said a few weeks ago, I think we, we look at, we, we think of good Jesus in the Gospels and then bad Jesus later. Down. You know, he came as a, as a lamb the first time, but he's coming back as a lion. He's, he's coming back to, he's, he's angry. But we see Jesus, one of the first instances outside of the disciples, when he encounters an enemy and Jesus is still loving his enemies. He hasn't changed. And Jesus in that moment says, why are you persecuting me? But this is interesting to me because this, is, this is, kind of goes back to something Jesus said in Matthew 25. This is before the cross. Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food to drink, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. Saul, why are you persecuting me? what he was going to persecute the church jesus fused the church his followers is him in matthew he even expands the definition a little bit <laughs> anybody that you see is in prison naked a stranger hungry that that's that's jesus in a sense and the way that we respond to the, to the broken people, the, the, the hungry people, the naked people, the prisoners in our midst, the, the, the way we respond to those people around us is the way that we respond to God. That's what Jesus is saying. When Paul bumps into Jesus, he says, why are you persecuting me? Again, he's maintaining his solidarity with us. This is why Paul oftentimes from that point on, if you notice, like in 1 Corinthians, he calls the church the body of Christ. There is some, I don't understand God's wisdom here. (laughs) I don't get how this works. But in some way, we are the body of Christ gathered together. In some way, we, we show forth what God is like to the world as a community. And this is where it gets real. and This is where it gets down to the, uh, is it just the ends justify the means? Are we just doing whatever we want to get to a certain end? Or are we embodying the message and life of God? Because if we are embodying the message of Jesus, we will feed the hungry. We will welcome the stranger. We will visit the prisoner. We will show compassion to those who are sick. But this is where it goes from mere intellectual thinking to an embodied reality. You know, the largest group of people leaving, uh, uh, there's, a, there's a group that uh, sociologists are calling the nuns right now. And, and if you look at a survey of American religion right now, the nuns, people who have no religious affiliation, is the fastest growing group Religious demographic in the United States right now Now many of these people Are giving up on the institution of church They're not giving up on God But they've seen a disconnect They've seen a church in America Where the ends justify the means It's okay to not forgive this group of people over here Or to judge this group of people over here Or it's okay to, to be violent to this group of people over here As long as, as we're, we're going to heaven in the end It's okay to compromise on these things uh, personally as a church. And I think people, particularly a lot of young people, are seeing the disconnect between the church and Jesus. We're finding ourselves many times like Paul, where we have, Paul didn't give up on the Bible. He he knew the Bible better than any of us and knew it in the Hebrew. (laughs) But after meeting Jesus, Paul had to look at those scriptures in a whole different way. It's like the old, the old gospel hymn. I'm going to lay down my sword and shield down by the riverside and study war no more. I think when we look at Paul and this conversion experience, when we look at Jesus, the, 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 the question we have to wrestle through, where do we need to be blinded by Jesus, so to speak, again? Where do we need to be blinded? Where do we need to be knocked off our horse? Where have we let un-Jesus-like attitudes towards other people, other groups of people take over our lives? Where are we more concerned with protecting our stuff than, than, than being generous? Where are we more concerned with our own reputations than, than loving people? Where are we concerned more with our political ideology than we are with human beings created in God's image? Where have we given over our authority to the powers of this world rather than trusting in the King of Kings, Jesus Himself? It's getting awfully quiet up in here. And so, that's how I just want to close today. I just want us to ask the Lord, shine your light into our lives. Blind us if you need to. Blind us if you need to. Wherever we've... we've, I I don't want to be the same kind of person. I don't want to put my trust in the things of this world. I don't want to put my trust in the institutions of this world or the politics of this world. I I, want to trust Jesus. I want to look more like him. And honestly, I believe the only only hope for this world is is a group of people, a church, not just this little church, capital C, that is modeling an entirely different community in the institutions of this world. Why don't you stand? Lord God, we... Lord, we ask you for a fresh encounter with Jesus today, Lord. God, I pray in my own heart and the hearts of all that are gathered, Lord, that where there are areas where we have trusted in the powers of this world, where we've abdicated our authority and given it over to to, to, to things that are not of you, God, I, I pray that we could have a Saul-like encounter with you, Lord. Lord, that you would blind us with your truth, God, that you would set us free from the attitudes, the thoughts, the judgments that we have against other people, God. Help us like Saul to realize your grace and your love for us in the depths of our being and to live from that place towards this world. God, help your church to to not be a group of people that are just grabbing for power and demanding our own will, trying to make things happen, but a group of people who trust in your unfailing love and who reveal that to the world, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.